We're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Before we get into it, let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for you, dear Lord. I thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to know everything, Lord God, because we know you. But we thank you, Lord God, for saving us. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that brings understanding to your word. We thank you for the strength that you give us, Lord God, to apply your word. And Lord, we ask, Lord God, that when we do walk this walk, Lord God, that we do it to the honor and glory of your name, Lord God. And Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you, again, would be with my words, of course, Lord, but also be with each individual that you would have here, Lord God, that again, that we would walk out of this room different people, that we would walk out of this room after hearing your truth and your word, and that your Holy Spirit would drive it into our hearts as only you can, Lord God, that we, Lord God, would have a desire to worship you with that knowledge and bring honor to your name be transformed into the likeness of your Son. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So again, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, part 3, I think, is where we're at. John, I believe, will finish it off next week. So, Paul has been instructing the Corinthians, and us, of course, uh, not to abuse our liberties by not considering others. And I thought, you know, when, when I taught the last time that we should be asking ourselves, is what I'm doing edifying? Is what I'm doing building up my brothers and sisters in Christ? Amen? And earlier in this chapter, in verse 2, Paul commends the Corinthians for doing what he had instructed them to do. Whereas here now, Beginning in verse 17, he reprimands them. So, we're just going to jump right in here. He reprimands them because they have the celebration of the Lord's table. They they do it in a disgrace. They don't do it in in an honorable way, in a reverent way. The Corinthians have drifted far from the meaning and magnitude of the Lord's table. And perhaps this is why... Paul goes back to the source, which is Jesus Christ. In this passage, he quotes the Messiah, and as he instituted the Lord's Supper. So, I want us to begin with a, with a few things that we already know about the Lord's table. We know Jesus instituted two ordinances, and they are what? Anyone? Baptism and... The Lord's Supper. Amen. He participated in both of them. The church is to be faithful to these two ordinances. And Paul taught these ordinances to the church at Corinth when he uh, established it. Again, we're reminded of that in verse 2 of chapter 11 where he said, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain to the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Both baptism and the Lord's Supper are important to salvation and the Christian life. 
We are to be imitators of Christ. Amen? We are to be examples to one another. Amen? And we are to be witnesses to the world. Unless we've read Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, or maybe we have and we've forgotten, we may not remember or we may not know that the Corinthians were misusing the Lord's Supper. And that brings us to our text for, for the day. If you would, please open up your Bibles to that passage. I don't have it in the outline, but we have all the other references on the outline. Just try to keep it to a, a one-page, two-sided document there. All right, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, the Word of God says this, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you, not, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I shall not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. May God add his blessing to his word. So, again, the church was misusing, right? The, uh, the Lord's table. When, when they had fellowship meals, again, they're referred to as love feasts, right? We've heard that term. Um, when they had these love feasts, they were part of the ministry, part of what went on in the church. It was part of the Lord's table, celebrating the Lord's table. I had mentioned earlier that in verse 2, Paul commended the Corinthians again, but now he brings this charge against the church in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because you because when you came together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. He's saying, I do not commend you. I'm not praising you as I did earlier. I'm not happy with you. I do not approve of what is happening here. Right? would be the opposite of praising someone, right? He makes the point that their fellowship is more detrimental than valuable. Listen to what he says in verses 18 and 19. For, in the first place, when you came together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Paul Paul's saying, he says, that he's been hearing that there's division 
within the church. And although the report might be a bit exaggerated, nonetheless, he believes that it's happening. We all know that what is, what's the opposite of division? Unity. Unity, right? Unity. That word division actually means schism. It's literally referring to the tearing or cutting away. So this is, I see this as a violent thing happening, something obviously that's not good, especially for the body of Christ. It's ripping away at the unity. There was opposition and conflict between the people in this church. These people could not agree on anything, not even when it comes to worshiping together or the sharing of a fellowship meal. Rather, they sought to indulge themselves, as we read and will read again, with food and wine. In the beginning of uh, verse 19, Paul writes this, For there must be factions among you. Now again, that word faction means division. Actually, the word there is heresy. Familiar word, right? So we're talking about a, a religious party, a false teaching, which, not, which will create division within the church. Um, something that was true then and unfortunately still true today. And it is a reality, it is a fact that the church, the body of Christ, not everyone is saved, right? It's made up of people who know the Lord and people who do not. It's not on your outline, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 30. Okay. We read this, and from among you, excuse me, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So again, this is nothing new under the sun. Right? What's happening here? And unfortunately, like I said, What's happening today also in the church? And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, we read, actually beginning verse 3, for, we, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So you have, again, those that are saved and really those who aren't. And at times, the true believers, right, will have differences with those who are not true believers. And when this, when this happens, it's evident to, ev- to almost everyone, right? It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb sometimes. Uh, he says in verse 2, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Again, Those that don't know the Lord are going to stand out. Those who know the Lord are going to stand out. Again, this wasn't a praise coming from Paul. He started this out with, I'm not praising you. Basically, I'm reprimanding, I'm rebuking you. The Corinthians were disgracing the Lord's table by not considering Jesus Christ. They also were not considering fellow believers. They weren't considering one another. Therefore, disgracing Jesus Christ. Not only was the church misusing the Lord's table with the fellowship meal or the love feast, the church was misusing the Lord's table by making it, Paul says, their supper. It wasn't about Jesus and what he's done, or even in remembrance in any way, it was purely about them. Some in the church had plenty, just, just like any 
congregation of people. There are those that are wealthier than others and those that are not as, or even poor. All right? He says, you know, he's saying some in the church have plenty, others even went hungry or got drunk. In verses 20 and 21 of our passage, we read, when you come together, he says, it is not the Lord's table that you eat. That is a big charge. That's a weighty charge. You know, we come together like we did last week uh, in, in our fellowship to, uh, to, to observe the Lord's table. It is a weighty thing. We really need to uh, consider what, what went on, the, the, the why, how, and who of it. And, you know, that's just something that kind of kept coming back to me as I uh, read this and studied is the heaviness, the weightiness, the, the seriousness of, of God's table and what's involved. So he says, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, which means he's saying, you made this your own supper. This is your own supper. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. No consideration uh, for anyone other than themselves. And this is happening because you're not observing the Lord's table in the way you should. You're not using it for the glory of God. You're not using it to remember. You're not using it to uh, come into a deeper adoration and understanding. You're using it completely for your physical selfish wants. You're not considering Christ or anyone other than yourselves when you meet. And it just it made me think of our potluck right afterwards, our potluck fellowship. Not that I'm standing around watching anyone, but I'll be honest. There are times I'm in the line, okay, and maybe two or three, look, two or three people ahead of me, and there's a uh, one piece of chicken left. All right? And I think to myself, hmm, let me grab that chicken before the other two people before me. All right? That's, I mean, that's part of what, what Paul's talking about. Okay? Um, it's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. Uh, you know, I'm thinking only uh, about myself. And then if, if that's the way I'm approaching every meal, okay, um, it becomes the normal after a little while. And I think that's what was happening in the church of Corinth. Uh, you know, a little bit just became more and more, and it just became the normal practice. This is what we do. Because then we begin just to display it, and everyone just feels comfortable with it. Because if John does it, I can do it. If Dave does it, John can, you know, whoever can do it. So it just becomes the normal. Such a high level of selfishness was on display. Uh, and this is when people would see, again, who's who. Who was thinking solely of themselves and would run ahead of the poor, run ahead of the less fortunate, and starving so that they could get theirs before the other people. And many of the hungry would really not get anything at all. It wasn't bad enough that they didn't wait their turn, but the, again... These selfish people were taking more than they needed. They were taking much more than they needed. You know, the Corinthians were known for favoring the well-off. Okay, pretty much that's 
how it goes in the world, right? The people with the money, the people with the celebrityism, whatever it might be. Oh, let me, here, sit here. Oh, have some of this or some of that. That's kind of, that's really what kind of went on then. And again, it goes on today. And they were probably the ones who ate first. And they were probably the ones who took excess. I think, you know, I think we, when we come here, we need to think, like on a Sunday morning, on the first Sunday of the month when we, when we do this, I need to ask myself, am I coming here to feed or to be fed? Really? And Paul gets into that as he continues. The church misused the Lord's table by neglecting the poor. They came together to take the Lord's Supper. However, when uh, it came time for the love feast, for the fellowship meal, it was being perverted uh, in addition to causing the division. All right? In verse 22, Paul wrote, What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Again, are you coming here to feed people or to be fed? You have a house. You have everything. Eat at home. Drink at home. Have your fill at home. Come here and minister. Come here and provide for those who cannot provide. For whatever reason. Whatever reason that might be. That really, honestly, that really kind of changed my perspective when it comes to that first Sunday of the month. You know? So Sharon, I want you to make a big breakfast the first Sunday of the month. <laughs> no, but really, that should be our heart, right? For, to the, for the betterment of our brothers and sisters, for the edification, for the building up, for those that can't, for whatever reason it might be. If I can, then let me do it at home, and then come here and let everyone else eat. He says, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise, this is heavy, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Do you despise, what is despise? What's another word for despise? Hate. hate. He's like, do you hate, do you hate the church? Because that's what it looks like. It looks like you hate them. You hate the body of Christ. By extension, you're saying, and you hate Christ Himself. Uh, yeah, it all, it all goes back to the Lord. Absolutely. It all goes back to Jesus Christ. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And we're reminded throughout Scripture, I like what, it's, what was written in Deuteronomy 15.11, for, uh, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Amen? That's here. 31 Pasek Hasbrokites, right? Mm -hmm. That's in this body. That's in your community. What God has given us, what He's blessed us with, hold it loosely. Hold it loosely. Mm -hmm. Because God gave it, gave it to us to give. To give back to Him. To give back to others, to give Him the glory to give him the honor. To your brothers and sisters, to the needy, and to the poor. I don't think it necessarily has to mean just your brothers and sisters. Right? To the needy and the poor. Those, again, who are well off, I believe those that aren't in poverty, that they're not poor. Not, you know, I think most of us can say we're 
well off in the sense that we might have to watch what we spend, we have to watch, but we have a roof over our head, we have clothes on our back. You get it, all right? We're well off, okay? So those who are well off, those who weren't poor, Paul is telling them that they should, again, eat at home instead. How they conducted themselves had to be truly disgraceful and irreverent. Paul, Paul questioned as to why they despise the church, right? Basically, it's like he's saying, because, because that's how you're acting. That's what's on display. Like you hate the body of Christ. You're making gluttons of yourselves. You don't save food for the poor. Shaming them. Shaming them. Humiliating them. Instead of caring for them. Their actions again. Humiliated the poor. And this happens church when. People treasure what moth and rust can destroy. More than the eternal value of things when we just look at the horizontal as opposed to looking ahead to the vertical. I like Mark's account when Jesus confronted the rich young ruler, right? With a challenge to sell all that he had and bless the poor. Mark 10, 19-23 You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus loved him because he told him the truth. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's much easier, right, for us to give when we have less than when we have more. You're smiling there, sir. Is there something you want to say? Okay. Okay. Um... You know, now that we're up to speed, really, with the evidence supporting Paul's uh, charge that the church at Corinth, again, had been misusing the Lord's table for their benefit, not for the glory of God, and again, not to the benefit of others, to the edification of others, we must, we must know why we are to observe the Lord's table, right? We must know why we are to observe the Lord's table. Who wants to tell me why we observe the Lord's table? Jesus commands to remember Christ. Right answer. Because <laughs> Jesus said so. Right? To remember Christ. To remember Christ. What he does. Yeah. yeah. Well, Paul, and throughout Scripture, we, we're taught, right? The Corinthian church and even us today, the church today, um, we, I think we, we need to make it a point to take the Lord's table serious, the Lord's Supper. Right. I'm not saying we don't here. I'm ta- uh, as, as individuals, I think we can all maybe glean something from this to say, I can do this better. I can worship God to a higher glory. Right? I can give Him more glory. I think that sometimes, again, that maybe, maybe we can be too casual uh, about it coming, coming here. 
And it made me think of uh, the personal preparation that really should be involved. As I read this, more and more I was convicted that, you know, I need to prepare to observe the Lord's table. Um, That we may take time to reflect on all that happened and was said with regard to us personally during that Passover meal. So, some reasons for observing the Lord's table that we could take from what Paul says here. Well, Paul reminds, uh, reminds them again and us. In verse 23, the beginning of verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Now, Paul mentions that he had previously passed on what he had learned from Christ. He had delivered this to them. How did Paul, there's a little side note, a little sidebar, but I think it's worth mentioning, you know, well, how did Paul receive it from Christ since he did not walk with the incarnate Christ? Mm-hmm. All right, so perhaps Paul received it when he was in Arabia, right? Where it says in Galatians chapter 1, beginning verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Most biblical scholars agree that 1 Corinthians uh, probably had been written before any of the Gospels. So this is pro- this then would be the first time any believer all right, would hear Paul teaching this. All right? So therefore what, what, what probably happened was the information that Paul passed on when it was imparted to him supernaturally. Again in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have, excuse me, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's. It's not man's gospel. Thank God. For I, God is right, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, for I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Right, so just in case you were wondering how he told them about this. And in the middle of this rebuke, Paul wants to make sure uh, the Corinth- that the Corinthians realize something. Uh, this meal, which represents the ultimate mercy and grace extended to you and I, that grants the privilege of having unity with God and eternity with the Creator. In His sovereign providence, this magnificent redemption Jesus was talking about would be initiated by allowing an evil act. Yes, DJ. Uh, not for nothing, I'm, I'm thinking about the Corinthians and wondering it, how, how much of the Old Testament were they really absorbing? Because uh, God, the, all that physical stuff that was there written mm-hmm. of preparing for Passover added to the weight 
the understanding of being in slavery, the understanding of being set free, the, all that stuff needed to translate from the physical to the spiritual. And I'm wondering, I, I get the impression that they weren't spending nearly enough time understanding the scriptures, at least it didn't seem, doesn't seem to be. It's, it's possible. That they, that they weren't being brilliant enough. Yeah. It is possible. We don't know. We know if, if they were, it got away from them. Let's just say yeah. that. And, and I think within this, and we're going to talk about that, that, that we see that kind of transition, that kind of all right, connection. So, so and, and we'll get to that. This, so again, an act of evil is what initiates this here. Okay. Right? Um, it's a, we, we read in verse 23, the second part, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. Again, Jesus was betrayed. Someone who was his friend turned against him. Someone who he trusted. In Psalm 109, verses 6 to 8, again, we read about this. This is something that was, had, had to happen. Appoint a wicked man against him. Again, let, a, let an accuser stand at his right hand. Wow. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. And we know that happened with Matthias. Right? So, so again, what man meant for evil, right? God, before the foundation of the world, purposed for good. In verse 19, Paul had mentioned how the differences between the fall, there would be, you would, we would see differences uh, between true and uh, false believers. Right? Uh, it would be evident. Well, here is a perfect example uh, of that. The betrayal would later make the true goodness of Christ evident, though. Amen? Uh, a reminder, again, that the Lord's table... Uh, just something to remind us here, uh, that the Lord's table, in, when it's being carried out, all right, is having communion with the Holy God. Mm -hmm. Amen? It's having communion with one another. It's having communion with the Holy God. And we were reminded of that back in chapter 10, verse 16, the cup of blessing uh, that we bless. Now, supposedly this is the, that cup, right? It's at that time in the meal. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation, Paul said, in the blood of Christ? Mm -hmm. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Mm -hmm. And again, John taught on that. The association, the participation, the being with. Okay? We are to observe the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, to remember Jesus. Right? This is how Jesus asked us to remember him. Verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, this remembrance is much more than a, than a symbolic ceremony. The unleavened bread represented new life for Israel. And again, going, going back, like kind of piggybacking on what you were saying, DJ. Um, the unleavened bread represented that new life for Israel when they fled Egypt, right? Following the first Passover. The outcome, again, was, was um, Israel's deliverance, right? Uh, from slavery, from Egypt. They were now set apart unto the Lord. God had delivered them. He was making them his chosen people. They were his holy nation. Jesus, in effect, was saying, 
Well, he was saying that he was the bread. And that his body would be sacrificed for the salvation of God's elect. Uniting them, uniting us to himself. That new life. That, again, Paul in 2 Corinthians, therefore if anyone is in Christ, right? The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So we partake of the Lord's table, thereby identifying ourselves with the death of Christ on our behalf. Again, that participation. And this is, uh, this is the expression of our faith in the grace that we have received because of Jesus and what he did. And that one, that one piece of bread, right? So he had a piece of bread and he broke it. So it started out as one piece of bread. That piece of bread that symbolized Christ is shared at that table, but it's shared as within the community of believers, right? Like we do on the first Sunday of the month. It is an expression of our unity and in the oneness that we have, that we share with Christ. And this, this unity, this oneness, this fellowship, this communion is exclusive, right? It's, ex- it's exclusive fellowship. It's our exclusive fellowship of the Lord's Supper. With Jesus in mind, what he did, what he accomplished, is how we are to observe the Lord's table. We cannot correctly take of the cup or the bread unless we consider, like I said before, the who, how, and why of the Lord's table. Again, he said, in remembrance of me, as a reminder. You know, and and as a reminder, not a thought, not just like a passing thought, like, oh, I I have to go pick up milk on the way home. But as a reminder, rather that we are to consider, that we are to meditate on that. Meditate on, 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 on the scripture, of course. First Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Speaking of Jesus, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Right? Jesus was never plan B. Jesus was plan A from the beginning. Thank God. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, Liz. For the sake of you, Elias. For your sake. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Why? So that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. And again, to remember, to consider, to meditate. Jesus left heaven. Right? He left heaven, and Isaiah writes what he, what he faced. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is who died for you and I. This is who we are to remember, the remembrance of the truth that we find in the word of God. And it's for the purpose of provoking us to walk in the newness of life, to walk in obedience that he has so graciously 
granted us this newness of life. So we are also to observe the Lord's table because only we can. Right? It's exclusive. Only we can do this. What Jesus did, no one else can do. What we do at the table, no one else can do in a way that glorifies God. We are completely dependent on Christ being our propitiation for our sins. He did it for his people, for his elect. He said, this is my body, which is for, insert your name. This is my body, which is for Lent. It's personal. That's how I need to remember, because I need him to do what he did. Jesus is saying, I've given my body in human form as an example, as the sacrifice. My body will be beaten. My body will be put to death. My body will be buried, satisfying God so that Len doesn't have to. Amen? We do not have to taste an ounce of God's wrath. Not one ounce. Amen? Verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, the cup represented... Again, the cup represented the lamb's blood. And that's, I think, where maybe their thoughts should have gone. That they should have recalled that 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 lamb's blood that was brushed on the lintels, that was brushed on the doorposts of the Israelites' homes back in Egypt. The blood which saved the firstborn of the families. The blood that was not put on the doorposts and the firstborn were taken. And that's what caused the final straw for Pharaoh, right? In the same way, it says, in the same way he took the cup. So as he took the bread, he also took the cup. A uniting of the two, just as in the first Passover. Putting those, the cup and the bread, go together. The Lord's Supper is a privilege for you and I, the believer. The believer in Christ only. Those who have the faith to believe. We are also to observe the table because Jesus is the one way. The only way to salvation. The cup, he says, is the new covenant. In my blood. Here Jesus transitions, again, the uniting of bread and blood. He goes from the first Passover to Mount Sinai, right? There was, there was an old covenant. This is a new covenant. And we know there was an old covenant. Exodus 24, 6 to 8. And Moses took half of the blood, <clears throat> excuse me, and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Israel became a community of God who had communion and fellowship with him. And Jesus transitions to what he declares to be the new covenant because his blood now will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Again, a community of believers who has communion with each other and with God. And throughout Exodus, you've been coming to the night services or listening to them. 
That's what you saw throughout Exodus. All right, is the, there's blood being splashed, there's blood being sprinkled, and it's all for the ratification of the covenant. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah, a couple places in Scripture, Jeremiah described the new covenant arrangement between God and His people. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My, my covenant that they broke, right? And then they went into exile, right? Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. This was the irrevocable covenant of peace between God and his people. And Isaiah writes of it, For the mountains may depart, and the hills may be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. Amen. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion for you. And then in Ezekiel chapter 37, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. We could go on and on. There's lots of scripture talking about God's peace, God's covenant. Uh, we are a peculiar, right? A chosen people. We're a little weird in comparison to the other world, but that's not what that word means. It means that we are His chosen people, right? Living in unity with God. That's probably why we look a little weird. Separated from the world, the world who lives in division and void of God. He says, do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Again, just as the bread, Paul charges the Corinthians, implying both times that the participants would be reverent. Mm. Our observing, uh, as we draw to the end here, running out of time, observing uh, the Lord's table, in fact, is a proclamation. Right? Mm. Verse 26, For as often as you eat the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So, as often as you do this, as many times as you do this, whenever you do this, it doesn't have to be the first Sunday, the second Sunday, every Sunday, but when you do, you proclaim His death until He comes. So in addition to reminding ourselves that God's love towards us comes by mercy and grace, in, in addition to the reminder, the remembrance, all right, we proclaim His death until He comes. We proclaim, we are preaching the gospel, again, to each other. First, to each other. We do this in order to provoke one another to good works. Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews tells us? And again, familiar passage, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us, not, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, that is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We proclaim his death until he comes to each other, to the whole world. Right? The world observes as we, in faithful obedience, observe and carry out the gospel message of Christ. In, in evangelism and all that, but especially through the Lord's table. 
like, like we said at the beginning, what the text said at the beginning, in a church, there are those who don't know the Lord. So, think of what, what, are, the, what are the people maybe that, that may walk into our sanctuary on a Sunday when we have communion that don't know the Lord. Like, what could be going through their mind? What could be going through their mind as we do this? Just something to think about. Something, you know, I don't have an answer. I could, probably a lot of things. But not so much what's on their mind, but how, how can we proclaim it in a way that honors God to them? We can proclaim it by, by being reverent, by preparing for it, by really participating uh, in it. I get it. It's, you know, sometimes we come in there, uh, you know, it's routine, you take it casual. But all the more, all the more, that we need to be serious. Amen? All right. We're a little ahead, a little behind, so let's pray and we'll go to service. Father, thank you again, Lord, for what uh, you taught me and what you've uh, impressed on my heart, dear Lord. I pray you've impressed something on the people's hearts here. And Lord, may we be faithful to uh, honor you with your uh, illuminating your word to us, Lord God, by uh, considering it and by applying it to our lives. Again, not that we would look good, not that we would benefit, Lord, but that your people will benefit and that you would get honor and glory. Be with us now as we go over to the main sanctuary, Lord. Uh, be with Pastor as he uh, preaches your word. Uh, be with us. Uh, may we expect to hear your truth. May we expect to be transformed. And we say these in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.